Thank you, Paul, for the welcome and the invitation to be here, and Andy for leading us in worship. It's a privilege to be here. Um, it really is. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name's David Legg. I live in Portadown. I'm originally from East Belfast, and um, I was a pastor for a number of years in Belfast, and then went into itinerant Bible teaching um, ministry around the country, and um, involved a little bit in prayer ministry as well. So. I have a wife, Barbara, and two kids, Lydia, who's almost 21, and Noah, who's 17 yesterday. And um, so that's me, and it's really good to be with you here. And uh, Paul has asked me to uh, share in this prayer school. And so the first thing I want to do is this, all right? I'm putting this on myself because I am in the... I am in the school of prayer learning, okay? Uh, I am not a guru or some expert or anything like that in prayer, I can assure you. Um, I think the Christian life, one of the hardest things for all of us, if we're honest, is prayer and how to truly pray. But not only is it the hardest thing, and I've discovered in Christianity, whether it's in the Bible as we're studying the Bible, you see when you come up against a, a difficult passage or something that's a bit mind-numbing. I've discovered that very often there's great treasure there if you dig into it. And prayer is a little bit like that. Very often the hardest things are the things that we find most difficult. Um, it's a bit like the parables. I'm digressing now. But did you know why the parables were given by Jesus? Did you know? Some people misconstrue that the parables were given by Jesus to make it easier to understand things like an illustration. That's actually the opposite of why Jesus gave the parables. And he said to himself, I've given these things so that the truths could be hidden. That seemed, that's the opposite to seeker-sensitive, isn't it? Um, what Jesus was saying is, I've made these things a little bit obscure so that those who are really hungry will dig in and search and seek and find me. And if you can press through the apparent peripheral difficulties of prayer. And they are, a lot of them are like a mirage. They're not real. They're often things that the enemy puts up against prayer. They're often things our own flesh that uh, work against us drawing near to God. If you can get past those elements of prayer, I'm telling you, and, and many people have, this is the secret of Christian life and the others the secret of Christian life. But if there's one secret to really knowing God and getting through to God, and experiencing what it is to, to know the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ and everything that the Holy Spirit has for us and everything that there is in the kingdom, it's prayer. So I'm glad to see you here today, and I do hope that you, you benefit from what I have to share. Um, in our first session, what I want us to consider are some practicalities um, of prayer. And I really want to be as um, practical as we possibly can. And then in our second session... Um, we're going to look at the passionate pursuit of prayer, or really the passionate pursuit of God, which is at the heart of prayer, because that's what prayer is really all about. And um, then tomorrow morning, if you stick it out and you have me back after today, um, we'll be looking at uh, what will we be looking at? We'll be looking at. Um, how do we see? I'm just trying to remember the exact title of it. Confident prayer. Yeah, confident prayer. And there's three elements to confident prayer. 
and that is identity, authority, and certainty. And we're going to look at that tomorrow in some detail. And I, and I left it to tomorrow because I thought we'd get most, most of the Christians out tomorrow. Not that, you're not, not that you're not the Christians, but you know the Sunday going to meeting Christians will be out tomorrow, and, and, and maybe they need to learn a bit of how to, to pray confidently. Sometimes you, you have a school of prayer and you get all the prayers. Isn't that right? Uh, and you're preaching to the converted. Now, we've all something to learn, as I said, but uh, we want to encourage and enthuse the, the folk that will come tomorrow into what it is to know confidently that you can pray and God will answer your prayers. Amen. If you know who you are and you know your authority, you can pray with certainty. You still have to come tomorrow. Okay. So I want you to turn to Psalm 5, and then we're going to look at Ephesians 6. Psalm 5 and Ephesians 6. Um, but before that, let me share, get those passages, if you will, um, ready. I'll do that too. That would be a good idea. And by the way, if you have a question, you can ask it during um, my talk. You can interrupt me. You can put your hand up. If it's a sensible question, um, <laughs> you can ask. Or if you don't understand something, I'll leave it open a bit for questions, maybe at, at some stage as well. So that's Psalm 5 and Ephesians 6. But let me give a few recommendations. Um, I've discovered that one of the best places to learn to pray is the prayer meeting. It's not a funny thing. Um, learning on the job, being around people who know how to pray. And there are people who know how to pray. So I encourage you to get into prayer gatherings with smaller, larger groups. But another way of really learning how to pray is to read books about prayer. And I've discovered that that really stokes the flames of, of, of fire, of intercession in my life. And I just want to recommend a few to you on the screen. And I don't know whether you can see these well enough, but I'll mention what they are. Andrew Murray is a fantastic man of God who wrote on prayer over 100 years ago. And he, he's wrote, I would recommend to you Whitaker Publications. Have you ever heard of Whitaker Publications? Anybody heard of them? But they produce, the American uh, outfit that produce very cheap compilations of various works of kind. So you can get Spurgeon's sermons on certain themes, and you maybe get it for £8, and maybe they put 10 sermons in it or something like that. Well, they do this with Andrew Murray's work on prayer. So that one on the left there, the blue one, is all his writings or his most relevant writings on the subject of prayer. You can get it all in the one volume for maybe eight or nine pounds. You can get that in your local bookshop or they'll order it in. Another one, the second one, is on the presence of God, the practice of God's presence. But again, it's around the whole theme of abiding in God's presence and, and prayer is intrinsic to that. Another one of their books is E.M. Bounds' compilation on prayer. I think the best books that I've ever read on prayer, at least to enthuse you to pray, are E.M. Bounds' writings. And one of his best little books, very small book, I love small books, um, is called Power Through Prayer. And if there's any preachers here, um, it's probably a, a more of a book on preaching than it is in a book on prayer, but it combines the two themes, that if you want to be a good preacher and communicate the kingdom of God to people, you need to be a a man or a woman of prayer. 
Yeah, and some wonderful quotes in that book. You know, it's a it's a better thing to talk to God about men than to talk to men about God. Little quotes like that. And uh, twenty years it takes to make a sermon because it takes twenty years to make a man. Things like that, where it's talking about a holistic view of the Christian life. It's not all about our presentation or performance, but it's about our secret time with God in the closet and how he molds us into the image of Christ as we behold him. Uh, We look into his face and we behold the glory of the Lord. We are changed from glory to glory into the same image by the Holy Spirit. That's what Christianity is all about. So I recommend that that little book in the end. That's um, Power Through Prayer. But sometimes we're a bit stuck uh, how to pray. I don't know whether you ever find that. And I go through different kind of uh, cycles and rhythms throughout the year. But I find liturgy helpful at times, and I don't become uh, legalistically bound to it. But I do find at times that liturgy, and that's just written prayers, can help you and can focus you as you come to God. These are two books that I've been using uh, lately, um, well, for for a number of years now. Uh, They're compiled by the Northumbria prayer community. And uh, it's a Celtic book of prayer. There's two volumes of it. But it goes through the Christian year too. But it also keeps what we would call the hours of prayer. Um, and I've been trying to do this. And not, not in any, as I say, bondage or condemnatory way. But I, I pray in the morning. And I pray in the evening before I go to sleep at night. And I have a, a time of prayer. But also in the afternoon, sometimes if I can, I, I try to have time there. And, and those prayer books can divide up in simple ways, just to help you in that way. And that's one way of peppering your day with prayer, which I think is very effective. Sometimes what we've done in the past is we've had our, in inverted commas, quiet time in the morning, and we get all topped up. But you know what that's like doing? It's like having your breakfast, lunch, and dinner in the one sitting, and then living off it the rest of the day. But you know, God wants to commune with us right throughout the day. And I know that happens through unceasing prayer as we're communing with God, as we're abiding in Him in connection with Him every moment of the day. You can do that, of course. But it's good to just set aside moments, even if it's only five minutes at lunchtime, where you stop and you just recognize God with you in your day and ask him for your help and so on. I'll not go on and on about that. Um, but I highly recommend those. Oh, now here we go. We need to go backwards, boys. How do we go backwards? There we go. Um, Dick Eastman, has anybody heard of Dick Eastman? Anybody heard of Every Home for Christ International? Has anybody in Balamoni heard of anything? Every Home for Christ International, you want to look, look them up on the internet. They are a worldwide organization that have been going for many, many years. And their vision was that every home in the world, this is a wee small vision, every home in the world would receive the gospel of Jesus. And you want to see the statistics on that website of just how many homes they have reached in the world. And they've only recently, <laughs> this shouldn't surprise us, they've only recently arrived in Ireland. They've been going for years, but they've only recently, and a good friend of mine, she's heading it up here in Ireland, Every Home for Christ. But Dick Eastman was the founder of that organization. And not so ironic, um, he was a man of prayer, and his first message was all about prayer. And this is, again, a compilation, not by the same publisher. But one of the books in this compilation on prayer, No Easy Road, uh, love on its knees. Um, the middle one there is the R that changed the world. Anybody heard of that book? The R that changed the world. Yes, it's a really, it's quite an old one. And um, 
I'm going to focus a little bit on some of the stuff that, that he encourages us with there. But first of all, we're going to read Scripture together. And uh, Psalm 5, verse 3. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it, my voice, to you, and I will look up. Let's read it again. My voice you will hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. I want to read that in the Amplified Version, which says, In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning I will prepare a prayer and a sacrifice for you, and watch and wait for you to speak to my heart. Now we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. Ephesians 6 then, verse 18. Now you know this is all the armor of God, don't you? Passage on the armor of God. But in verse 18, this is often missed after we go through all the items of the armor, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, sword of the spirit, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then in verse 18, Paul says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance, and supplication for all the saints. And he goes on to say that that will impact, and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel of Christ. So the armor of God, spiritual warfare, and then this all prayer will affect the release of the power of the gospel through the apostle's life. You with me? And I believe actually that this... Um, all prayer is a piece of the armor, as it were. It's a weapon that we have in the armor of God. The NIV translates that with all kinds of prayers and requests. All kinds of prayers and requests. So do you know that prayer is a generic term? It's a general umbrella term for various types of of prayer. It's a genre. It's an activity that we as Christians engage in. But there are so many different kinds of prayer that we can utilize in the kingdom. And when we look at Psalm 5 verse 3 that we read together, particularly in the Amplified Version, the picture that is being painted is that David is having his prayer time in the morning, but he is setting out his prayer just the way the priest would arrange the sacrifice. That's what the language is. Let me read it to you again, the Amplified. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will prepare a prayer and a sacrifice for you and watch and wait for you to speak um, to my heart. And so the word here, in the morning, I will direct my prayer to you in, in my version. Literally, the word direct my prayer to you is the Hebrew word for arrange. I am setting out, I am arranging my prayer like the priest would arrange the wood, piece on piece of the wood, 
and then he would light the fire, and then he would put the pieces of the offering onto the fire. There's actually a process. There's a thought-through arrangement to his prayer in the morning. And so we need to be practical when we're talking about prayer. So that's what I want to speak of, is prayer practicalities. Now, a little caveat and public health warning spiritually before we go any further. As Christians, you need to beware of formula. Okay? And this may sound like a bit of a contradiction, but it really isn't. We are very prone as Christians, particularly evangelical and charismatic Christians, to formula, to tell me what to do. A plus B plus C equals D. I want to know how this works. And we can be very mechanical when it comes to our prayer life. And I'm not wanting to encourage you into empty ritualism or just mere discipline. And I believe in discipline, and I believe certain rituals at times can be beneficial traditions, but not when they're empty, okay? Delight must come before discipline, and that's why I want to talk in our next session about the passionate pursuit of God. If there's no passionate pursuit of God in your prayers, your prayers are probably empty, and you're wasting your time. You'd be better watching the World Cup. You know, if there's no passion, if there's no power in your prayers, it's, it's worthless, And so delight must come before discipline. You've got to get a glimpse of the glory of God and the wonder of Jesus Christ before you're really going to engage in proper prayer. Because prayer is meant to be from the heart. It's not about what posture you take. And posture can be important in prayer, but it's not primarily about that. It's not about what words you use. It's not about the form. You understand? It's not about the sequence. So I want you to keep that in your mind as a safeguard in everything that we're talking about tonight, this morning, because we're going to be very practical. But I want you to understand, it's not just about following these steps and then, nearly said bingo, but you know what I mean, then everything is just going to fall into place. It's not like that. And yet we all need to start somewhere, isn't that right? And so, as Paul said earlier, when Jesus uh, was asked by his disciples, teachers to pray. He gave them the Lord's Prayer. And I do pray the Lord's Prayer, wrote at times. But it's not meant to be an empty prayer. It's meant to be a scheme or a framework for how we as sons and daughters of the kingdom can come to God. And that would be a good study that I'm not going to do today on the various facets of the Lord's Prayer as ingredients for prayer. But you've got to start somewhere. And I would encourage you that when you start understanding the practicalities of prayer and from a heart relationship with the Lord, implement those, more fluidity will come into your prayer life over time. It will move from being organized to more organic. Do you understand? More of a living thing. And so I want you, as I share these practicalities with you today, I want you to see them more like ingredients than rules. Okay? You understand the difference. So you, when, you're, when you're baking, now I'm a real expert in all this, as you probably will tell in a minute, but um, when you're baking, the first few times that you're baking something, what do you do? And you're, uh, how many inches of this? And what, how many degrees? And, oh, and you go back and forth, you know, back to the, the recipe book and follow the instructions. But 
Bakers don't need to do that. Bakers in Balamone this morning are just flinging in the flour and flinging in the butter and feels, the weight of it just feels about right. And that's, you know what I mean? Because over time they've got used with the ingredients for, for whatever they're baking. And so we might think of prayer and various practical things that I'll talk about in this session as, oh, this is my prayer toolbox. But I don't want you to think about that. I want you to think of more like a menu of prayer. Not a toolbox, but a menu. Because it's about delight, not duty. And I haven't said that. We pray for the work, but the greatest work we can do is prayer. But it all must come out of that place of intimacy with the Father. Seriously. If you want to know how to really pray, you need to read John 15. You need to inwardly digest it. You need to read John 70, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. 17, sorry. John 17. There's not 70, John. But you need to read that and, and understand it's all about abiding. It's all about the, the, the Son's connection with the Father. It's all about the Father's connection with the Son. It's all about the Word of the Father dwelling within us as sons and daughters. And we dwelling in that Word, living in that Word. And then we ask whatever we want. And it will be granted to us. So please don't miss that and all the practicalities that we talk about this morning. This, this is really, if you look at the screen while Paul's giving those out, this is really what um, I'm giving you in a different form. And this comes directly out of uh, Dick Eastman's book, The Hour That Changed the World. Now, I want you to understand that I am not trying to get you to pray for an hour, okay? That is not the objective. But what he does do is he segregates all, uh, separates uh, an hour, the five-minute segments of an hour up into different themes that you find in the Bible to do with prayer. So the all prayer that Ephesians talks about, different kinds, various kinds of prayer, he has broken up this hour into five-minute segments, and each one um, takes on one of those themes. So I just want to go through it. So you understand what I'm saying. I'm not expecting you after this to be able to go and pray for an hour. Whilst that might be a good thing to try and do, it's a good starting place. You don't want to be someone who's focused on the clock when you're praying. Um, You want to be someone who is really relating from the heart to God. So that's not the objective. Now, having said that, in Matthew chapter 25, you remember he asked Peter, James, and John to come with him in Gethsemane. And he asked them, them to pray with him. I remember Jesus was in great sorrow, even to death, as he contemplated the cross. And he comes back, and the three disciples are snoring their heads off. Now, it could well have been trauma of the whole situation that caused them to, to fall asleep. But nevertheless, Jesus said in these words, Could you not watch with me one hour? Now, so remember what I've said. My, my objective here is not to get you to feel, oh, I'm a, a terrible Christian if I don't pray an hour. I'm not saying that. But I would ask you a question. Have you ever prayed for an hour? And um, would that be something that you might want to make an objective sometime? And this might help you to do that. So it's not guilt tripping, and it's not saying this is what you should always be doing or anything like that. What I really want to look at is the various themes of prayer that's here. The issue is not time. The issue is the heart of it. Let's go down them one by one. 
I may not necessarily read everything that's on the sheet, and I will elaborate on, on each as we go through. First of all, uh, Dick Eastman encourages us to begin with praise, and you see that over about 9 o'clock there. Oh, well, this is a different one. It's 12 o'clock on mine, or between 12 and 1, it's 9 o'clock on yours. But the idea he's seeing is that in Scripture, praise is often the bookends of, of, of our prayers, the start and the finish of our prayers. And that's not some kind of a formula or order of service concept from the church, but actually it's rooted and grounded in the concept of how to get into the presence of God. Now, that's contradictory language because we don't get into the presence of God. We're in the presence of God. God's everywhere, Psalm 139. Even if you go to hell, God's there. And so God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. But he is not present the same everywhere. Okay? So he is everywhere present, but there are places where he shows up in a more manifest sense of his presence or a more condensed sense of his presence. And it's hard to talk about these things without talking in contradictory terms because we're talking about God. But what I'm trying to say is there are times, just like Andy's song uh, previously spoke of, when God showed up at the dedication of the temple and the cloud, the Shekinah glory, the kabod, the heavy weight of God came down. It wasn't that God was more there than he was somewhere else, but it, it was that he showed up more. And when we're in prayer, we want to get through the blockages to the presence of God in our lives so that we would be more conscious. I think that's what we're talking about. We become more conscious of his presence. But he does show up at certain times and certain places in a more intense way. Now, here's a little secret that's an open one. But the tabernacle and the temple, there's the outer court, then there was the holy place and the tent. Yeah, the first part of the tent, you came through the court, the sacrifices taking place and the labor and the altar and so on. And then there was the holy place in the first part of the tent. And then the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the Shekinah glory of God hovered over the cherubim on the mercy seat at the top of the Ark of the Covenant. So that was understood as the most immediate presence of God. And the high priest would go in there once a year. And it was a fearful thing and all the rest and put the blood of the lamb over the mercy seat. Do you understand? But there was a sense of procession and progression into the presence of God. Praise God for the new covenant. The veil of the temple has been torn to from top to the bottom. We don't need a priesthood anymore. We're all priests. We get that. And we can come face to face with the living God right now. Isn't that wonderful? Through Jesus Christ. But having said that, there are certain principles that still... Uh, feature in the spiritual walk. And one of them is Psalm 100. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So right at the beginning, we really should try to... Um, and you might have a period of silence. Some do at the beginning. That's okay. Um, there are no rules. But praise and thanks are key to actually us breaking out of our fleshly consciousness without God and actually entering into a nearer sense of God's presence. Just as they went through the gate of the court with thanksgiving and went into court with praise and eventually they want to get to the Holy of Holies. If you want to get there, you need to start utilizing thanks and praise. That's why we praise and thank God at the beginning, usually at the beginning of our times of worship. It's not a sandwich filler. It's not what you do. It's actually, in a sense, welcoming us into the presence of God. It's not as if we're welcoming him here, but we're welcoming ourselves into his presence. 
We're becoming more conscious in His presence. So you need to practice that in your private prayers. And whether that is you sing yourself or whether you put a, you know, a song on your headphones or something like that, that is something that will start. And I don't have time to talk about the power of praise, but there's a supernatural power in praise and thanks. Psychology is recognizing the power that there is in thankfulness. And that's why they're big on gratitude now and take three things and jot them down every day that you're thankful for and practice that before you go to sleep and when you get up in the morning because it changes our whole perception, our perspective of life. We start looking hopefully at things rather than um, uh, in a depressing way, a dejected way. That's the same with praise and thanksgiving. We're actually tuning our hearts to God. We're appraising to praise. See, you can't praise unless you are praise. Do you understand? You need to think about God. You need to conceptualize God and His attributes. You need to be meditating on Him in order to come to a place of praise. Not just saying the words or singing the words of the tune, but it's entering in, entering into His gates, into His courts with thanks and praise. There's supernatural power in praise. You can get deliverance through praise. You can receive healing through praise. You can hear the voice of God through praise. You can have the victory over all sorts of battles. You can see breakthroughs through praise. And so praise is very important, as you can, you can tell. And it's good to begin your time with praise. Then another thing, uh, number two here, is waiting on God. Um, waiting on God can mean two things. It can mean waiting as we think of waiting. You're just sitting there. And it, it is good. And we'll see later on that there's probably silence somewhere listening prayer. But um, silence and solitude have been lost to largely the modern church today. There's a bit of a revival in some of these ancient practices. But basically, we're not good as Western uh, evangelicals with the concept of sitting doing nothing. At least that's what it feels like we're doing. But we're not sitting doing nothing when we're sitting in silence and solitude before God, um, especially if we're focusing on God. Now, we're not talking about New Age meditation where you sit and hum in the lotus position and uh, you open yourself up to all sorts of weird and wonderful things in the universe. We're not talking about that. We're talking about where you're focusing on the living God. You're sitting in His presence. You're recognizing that He is with you, and you're sitting still and waiting on Him. And what happens is, I don't want to go into all the details. I can't anyway for the time, won't allow. But the stormy turbulence of the oceans of our hearts and minds, the longer we sit in God's presence, they become still. And if you like, in a storm, if you've ever been up the coast, of course, in the storms, and maybe Port Ballantrae, and you see it looks like Guinness, all that sea out there with all the silt and all the soil and everything in it. When, when our lives are in the storm, we need to become still so that all that silt and that dirt settles and goes to the bottom. And then there's a clarity. Then there's a clarity. And only stillness and silence and solitude get you to that place. So one of the best things that you could do is get still. Get still before God. Huge subject. Waiting in God can also mean not just waiting, literally like we would wait on a bus, but that's not really the same. Waiting in God is more like you know, having a tea towel over your arm and coming and serving a dish. You're waiting on Him. You're serving. You're ministering to the Lord. 
Very often we think of prayer as, uh, whoa, this is what I need, this is the breakthrough. I... But it's about actually praising, thanking, and worshiping Him. And the amazing thing is, you get what you need all the quicker when actually you come in the presence of God like this. And we need to realize we are a kingdom of priests, male and female. And we are waiting, we are ministering to the Lord. That's what it says in Acts chapter isn't it, 13 about the, 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 the church in Antioch when Paul and Barnabas were separated for the work that God called them to. It says that the church there was ministering to the Lord with prayer and fasting. They were ministering, serving, blessing the Lord, giving sacrifices daily with their prayers. That's what we're meant to be doing. That's what prayer is for us. We are priests offering sacrifices to God that are well-pleasing in the sight because of Jesus. So there's praise and there's waiting. These are no important order. There's confession. God has forgiven us, thank God. If we're in Christ, we're forgiven. So we don't need to get saved over again. But Jesus did say to Peter, didn't he, that you need your feet washed, Peter. And as we walk about in this life, we pick up dirt. We pick up defilement. And um, I think it's a good practice. And I know different people have different concepts. Um, some will say, oh, you're forgiven, you're in Christ, you don't need to ask the Lord. But I do believe that we need to confess our sins and keep short accounts with God and deal with stuff. Just immediately they happen, deal with them, get them out of the way. And, um, and then the fellowship is uninterrupted when we, when we do that. And after confession, there's read the word. Now, I'm not against it. You've seen liturgy or prayer books in the, in the right way, um, not in an empty religious way, but the best prayer book that you have is the word of God. And I would encourage you to read the Bible with a view to prayer fuel, rather than intellectually just trying to get knowledge, which isn't a bad thing, understanding the Bible, but understand that God is speaking to you. We'll see a little bit later. Um, in fact, let's think about that as well. Listening. One of those segments is listening prayer. You're not just sitting still, but you're actually listening in the quietness for what God has said. And one of the main ways, there are many ways God speaks. Read the Bible and it will tell you all about it. The Bible is the book that tells us about all the different ways God speaks, through dreams, visions, uh, through prophecy, words of knowledge, um, uh, through nature, through various circumstances, providence, all the rest, counsel of believers. But the primary way that God speaks to us is through his holy word. And so when you're reading scripture, I would encourage you to listen for the voice of God through scripture. What I very often do is, and I journal a lot, is I will write down how I hear God speaking to me through a scripture. So it's speaking to the original writer, but if I feel the unction of God on it, I will write down, David, from Father God, David, blah, 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 blah. This is what he's saying to me. It's really powerful when you do that. It actually encourages the prophetic in your life when you start to do that, to hear the voice of God through his holy word. But what you want to be doing then is using that as prayer fuel and praying it back. If you don't know what to pray, if you don't know what to praise, the Bible gives us an inspired book of prayer and songs. It's called the Psalms. Get into the book of Psalms. Not all of it's appropriate for praise and prayer, but most of it is. Get into it and start just praying over the book of Psalms. If you've never prayed through 10 minutes in your life, one of the reasons is, like playing darts, if you don't aim at something, you'll miss it. So if you don't aim at something with a direct structure of some kind, you're going to miss it. 
understand. So take some verses of the Psalms and you will find before you realize it, as you meditate on those things and pray back those things to God, you'll have prayed in five or ten minutes before you know it. And I know some, some of you are prayer warriors in the room and that doesn't apply, but some of us are only babies trying to start off. Then there's petition. And that's what commonly people uh, view as prayer. And it is part of prayer. There's a story told about D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, and he was um, uh, leading some great meeting he was going to preach on, and he asked some brother to come up to the podium to open in prayer. And he, he described it as, it as if the brother went around the whole world for a shortcut in his prayers, and he tugged the, the, the tail of his coat, and he says, Brother, just call him Father and ask him for something. Just call him Father and ask him for something. That's the relationship we are. We'll talk about that identity, the race we have with God tomorrow. But prayer is asking for something. But you don't just come in running and asking. You, you, you know, you, we are coming to a king, and he is our father. But we are coming to a king. Let's remember that. Our father is the king. And we can have that baby, Abba, Father, Daddy intimacy. But let's remember he's the, the Lord of the universe as well. Hallowed be your name. You're coming to a king, the old hymn said, great petitions with you bring. For his grace and power are such you can never ask too much. So you've got to ask. The key is asking according to his will. You know, Lord, I want to win the lottery. Or Lord, um, I want that Ferrari, please. You know, um, I don't think those are in the will of God, maybe. Um, but we need to be seeking... The, the Lord, what happens is this divine cycle. Do you, you understand that prayer is a cycle? What happens is as we get into the presence of God, God puts his desires in our heart. He changes our heart. And as he changes our heart, our desires change. And then we start desiring what he desires. Then we start asking for what he desires. And then he starts to get what he wanted in the first place. Now, that might sound a wee bit sly. It's not really. Here's why. Because what he wants in the first place is what you need and what will bless your life and what will thrive humanity. And he does it all co in cooperation with us. He's not forcing us to do anything. And it's all out of love. Do you understand? Get in his presence. Get overawed with him. Start praising him. Start thanking him. Start praying scripture and your desires will change and your prayers will change and then you'll start seeing answers that will glorify God. Where do we get to? Intercession. That's more so in the right way. Praying for others. Okay. Intercede means come between. So you're coming on behalf. That's what a priest can do. A priest goes between God and the people. And we as kingdom of priests, we are praying for others and bringing the needs of others. And there's some people who go very deep into intercession. Some prophetic intercessors. There could be some of them in the room who are essential for the extension of Christ's kingdom. And I thank God for you if you're one of those people. Praying the Word of God, we've covered that already. Thanksgiving, we've covered that. Singing, amen, Andy? Yes, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, even if you're out of tune. Um, you can sing to the Lord. And do you know, I was listening to a podcast this week, who has heard of the vagus nerve? Have you heard of the vagus nerve? Ooh. You're a nurse, God bless you. People in Valamone hadn't heard any of these things, and you've heard of the vagus nerve. That's amazing. You're for glory. <laughs> Bless Balamoni. That's terrible. We're not speaking bad things over Balamoni at all. They know about the vagus nerve in Korean. It's nothing to do with Las Vegas. Um, the vagus nerves run, runs really here, isn't that right, nurse? Down the neck and round the 
the base of the skull, and they've discovered that the vibration of the vagus nerve calms you down. And one of the very common ways to do this is through singing. Now, I don't know about you, but you see that two years of that crazy stuff went on around COVID, and we know it was real and it was tragic for many people, but it, it's caused a whole pile of mess, um, not just COVID, but all the responses to COVID. Um, but one of the things that I missed more than anything was singing on an emotional level, on a spiritual level, but I believe that it has actually affected the mood of many of us that we have not... See, we've taken for granted that maybe at least once on a Sunday, if not twice on a Sunday, and during the week even, we have been regularly singing, and we haven't realized what that was even doing for us, let alone spiritually and mentally, emotionally, but physically. Our nervous systems, it helps to calm down your nervous system. But anyway, that's an aside. It does much more than that. Uh, it's a way of articulating praise and thanks to God. Praise is not synonymous with singing. But, so you can sing and not praise. Amen. But um, singing is also a form of praise. And you want to engage that. It's great to do that even in your, in your prayer times. So singing. Then there's meditating. And that is really chewing the cud. You know, chewing the cud. The cow swallows it. And then it's not very pleasant to think of, especially before coffee break, but brings it up again and then chews it again. And that's what meditation is. And one of the greatest problems for mental health issues today is we are expert meditators, but we meditate on negativity. That's what anxiety is, focusing on a lie or the negative or on a fear factor and just chewing the cud with that. And if you could just redirect to positives and what Philippians 4, 8 says, what's good and true and honorable and lovely and good report, Praise, praiseworthy. It meditate on these things. We'll be super Christians. So you're gifted already. You anxious people, you're gifted already. You just need to shift your focus onto what's true about God and meditate on that. And one of the best ways is in prayer. Just get taken up with a, a theme or a thought about God and meditate maybe what God has already spoken to you through his holy word. And then listening prayer. There's a great book by Leanne Payne. If you've heard of Leanne Payne, some of you have, yes, um, called Listening Prayer. There's several books about... Can I tell you something? I've already used that term, the secret of the Christian life. It's, it's very overused. Prayer is a big one. But if there was a secret, apart from the Holy Spirit, to the Christian life, it is learning to hear the voice of God. And you do that in prayer. But you need to learn to listen. Many of our prayers are monologues where it's us talking to God. I would, you know, look at the way God's made you, your physiology. You have two ears, two eyes, and one mouth. And I believe that's indicative of the fact that we should talk less in prayer and listen more and look more for God. One of the ways we can listen is to journal. What is God saying to my heart? But also as you go about your daily business. We're very in the flesh and the wrong... Now obviously we're all in the flesh and we believe in incarnation as a reality. But what I'm trying to say is we need to be open, our eyes open, our ears open to God everywhere. He is everywhere looking for his voice. And that will create prayer um, fuel for us. And then 
um, Dick Eastman encourages us to, just as we've begun in praise, end in praise. Now, as I said, hopefully that will be a help to you. It's not meant to be a bondage to you. It's only meant to be a tool to reflect all kinds of prayer. And these are the ingredients that will augment your spiritual walk with God on a very practical level. The Alpha Course is, is a real blessing. It has been all over the world. I don't know whether you do it here or not. But I don't know if you remember the, um, the episode on how and why to pray. It's fantastic. But there is a, a gentleman, I think he's a priest in it, and he, um, he says this about prayer. I thought it was profound. Keep it honest. Keep it honest. What does that mean? Well, you come to God as you are. Now, I know I said you start with praise and all the rest, but you can come to God and say, I am miserable. Or I, the last thing I feel like doing right now is praying. Or I've just sinned. I'm up to my neck in it, Lord. See, do you know what the devil's objective is? It's to keep you away from God. That's what he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. That's why Adam was hiding. And God said, where are you? And he says, I was afraid. He was afraid to come to God the way he was. God wasn't afraid of his sin. Adam was afraid of shame and guilt before God. So you need to come to God the way you are. Even if it's every day you're coming and you say, I'm still miserable. Or this hasn't changed. I'm still cross with you, Lord. I've still got an issue with you, Lord. Just come as you are. Keep it honest. Keep it honest. You know, God's got big shoulders. And if you've got gripes and you've got aggravations and you've got angst and arguments with God, He is well able to deal with your problems and listen to you. And it's better to be in His presence, given off, even about Him, than out of his presence. Do you understand? Keep it honest. Keep it simple. Now, hopefully, I haven't confused things here for you today. But keep it simple. Just as a child comes to their father, just come to your father like that. And keep it going. Keep it honest. Keep it simple. And keep it going. 